Paratopia, welcome to yet another edition, the 101th edition, if you will. That's right, Jeff, the 101th of Paratopia. Tonight, we have Carol Rainey and Dr. Tyler Kokjan. And while you may think that this is going to be a fiery whatever-whatever episode, I don't know if you do think that, maybe you do, but you're in for uh, a treat, because it is not that, it's actually better. We actually have a discussion about um, sort of baby-stepping this field forward. Uh, I think it's um, a a nice, relevant, and mature discussion. Jeff, what say you? I think you're right. Yeah, it's not that we don't don't talk about (laughs) – yeah. I mean, it's not that we don't talk about their articles and and the fallout or whatever. I mean, there hasn't really been – or there hadn't been a whole lot of fallout up up to the time we recorded this, but – Really, we're done with that, and so it's important to move on, and, and I think this gives us a nice baby step forward. Well, I think it, it pretty much confirms what we said about the magazine before the magazine even previewed, which was this is pretty much the end of the discussion from this point forward. I mean, from here on, it's about the question that's been posed most prominently on our message board, which is where do we go now? What do we do? How do we approach this now? And so I think that that's um, – that's the important matter to focus on going forward. Indeed. Before we get into it with them, uh, Dr. Coke John doesn't have a website for anyone to visit, but he does have a YouTube channel. Uh, in if you put in the word rewinky, that is R E W I N K Y, his channel will come up, and he has little homemade bits like alien abductees and pregnancy proof or consequences, and he has. Little tidbits of things that are interesting. You should uh, definitely go there and look at them. They're they're certainly challenging um, to, if I can say, the abduction establishment. I don't know if that's correct, but they're they're a challenge nonetheless. And, and please, when you write him in comments, uh, please refer to him as Winky. <laughs> so I'm well informed that he really likes that. He does. He does like that. Uh, and Carol Rainey's does have a website, uh, which is carolrainey.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-R-A-I-N-E-Y, all one word, carolrainey.com. Um, but it's it's interesting, Jeff, to me because, um, you know, we, we had them on because she, she wrote this explosive article about Bud Hopkins' work, and he wrote um, a follow-up article to that. And yet, really, I think what this interview is about is speaking to their professions, right? So he is a doctor uh, and a professor of microbiology at Arizona College right. of Osteopathic Medicine um, and an adjunct senior scientist at Banner Sun Health Research Institute. And he's working on Alzheimer's disease. I mean, he's, he's right. investigating Alzheimer's disease. So this is what he does for a living, and he brings that to the table. He brings... Uh, science <laughs> to the table. Yeah. So we're really speaking to him as a scientist, and Carol, we're really speaking to as less the ex-wife of Bud Hopkins or even his ex-research partner, although there is a bit of that in there, the, the research partner part, but more that she was a uh, PBS uh, you know, documentary filmmaker dealing in science and medicine mostly. Um, so she brings that to the table. So I think this is a great conversation, and I think – uh, you're all going to get something positive and uh, intelligent out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, having Tyler on the show was great because, uh, well, I mean, it's it's yet another scientist we can add to the roster that's been on the show, which is always a good thing. 
but I think that he most accurately points out uh, the, the flaws that, that ufology has, has run into. I mean, both in his article and in the show tonight that uh, more or less point out just what's wrong and then what kind of uphill battle we're all going to face in order to do things in, in a more uh, uh, concise and committed way. So uh, I think that's, that's, that's mainly one of his bigger points that he makes on the show. Without further ado... Here are Carol Rainey and Dr. Tyler Copejohn. Well, Paratopia, here is the moment you've been waiting for when one Ms. Carol Rainey and Dr. Uh, Tyler Copejohn, the authors of uh, their respective articles for the preview of Paratopia Quarterly, finally speak out. They are here. Uh, they're ready for your questions. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but they are ready for our questions, and that's what's important. Um, so I guess... I'll ask both of you. We'll start with Carol. How do you feel having said what you've said publicly? Oh, that's as mixed uh, a bag as it was writing it. I, I'm i relieved to have it off my chest and sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, I think that was a mix of metaphors, but what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit it later. I'm the editor, you know. Uh, Tyler, what about you? Is um are there any consequences for speaking out in a publication such as ours for for an academic? At the at the moment, uh, everything is okay. I um, I've given copies uh, to uh, five of my coworkers, four of whom are faculty members, and uh, they were all very positive. I thought it was interesting. That is. And, uh, uh, one person says he's going to be a subscriber, so he'll have to check it out. His name is Kim Cooper, and he's worked with me on a, a number of projects, and we have permission to use his name. Wow, So let great. me know if he actually subscribes. Uh, <laughs> but you have to understand, too, that nobody's life view was challenged there. Uh, what they saw probably comports with the view that they had, the suspicions they had about practitioners in the whole field. So I don't know if that's a great measure or not, but uh, so far no lynch mob outside my door. Well, I'll tell you very briefly an experience I had in Boston when I was leaving the Epidemiological Research Institution. And um, I didn't dare tell anyone there who I was going to, to New York City to marry. I didn't want to have to explain it. But with one woman, um, a physician that I was working with very closely, I did begin to explain the alien abduction phenomenon and where I was going and all. And to my great shock, she knew something about it. She was very interested and mystified, but she wasn't dismissive. And that's what we want to attract. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there seems to be this uh, concern out there since the article that, um, that somehow this will completely destroy abduction research uh and that it will fuel the debunkers and and all of that and i have several answers for that my favorite one uh is that they didn't seem to care before because it gives them a foil to bounce off of and make money off of why should they care now don't you think debunkers should have been on this from the beginning if they were going to be that may be one of my least favorite words in the entire world. <laughs> um, um, it's in the same way that Christians say an unsaved person. 
there are enormous judgments involved in using the term debunker. There is nothing wrong with health, healthy skepticism. It's, it's there for a purpose. In the same way that we turn around and run when we're scared of something, you know, the fight or flight mechanism. We have a skeptical gene that jumps in and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that true? Can that be true? We should ask those questions. Oh, yes. We, well, yeah, absolutely ask those questions. But I think people are afraid that the career attack dogs will... Fundamentalist skeptics. Yeah, fundamentalist skeptics, sure. Right. We'll use this. Um, and, and I don't think they will, frankly. I think they probably want this to go away just like anyone else because it's bad for business. Hmm. Uh, I could be completely wrong about that, but I just feel <laughs> like, um, again, you know, George Hansen had written the article on the Linda Cortilli case way back you know, what, 10 years ago now? I mean, a long time ago. Yes. Um, and they certainly didn't latch onto that in any giant way. So why haven't they? Why Why has no one stepped forward to continually make the case that hypnosis uh, is the wrong tool for this field? Uh, they, they've got all the information we've got. So the fact that they haven't done that, uh, to me, says they don't want to. You know, the other thing is uh, you need to repeat your message. And the people that have been talking for a long time have had the floor for an awful long time. And their memes and their ideas have become dominant. Mm -hmm. And I think you're just going to have to keep going at them, stay on message, and uh, pointing out flaws. And it's going to take a long time. Well, Tyler, how did you get involved in this in the first place? You guys. Uh, <laughs> I am not kidding. I had absolutely, if you did ask me a year ago, would I write something on abduction research in a, pa a paper? I would have said that would not have appeared in the top one million things to do. No. In <laughs> and, uh, what happened was uh, you're uh, talking to Scott Lilienfeld, revealing the Emma Woods story. That's the first that I had heard of it. Uh, and then just listening to Paratopia in general, I started to read things. And um, I actually um, got in contact with Carol quite by accident because of Paratopia, I saw her post in response to something uh, about Emma Woods and wrote to her and said, you know, I read this uh, strange book um, about uh, transgenic beings and whatnot by you and Bud Hopkins, and did you do all the science? And uh, that book was remarkable. And that got me thinking about, you know, what are people doing, where are they going, uh, and what's happening here? So uh, it was an accident, but it turned out to be a very interesting one for me. Wow. Well, that's something I didn't know. So that, that's interesting. Um, in, in terms of sight unseen, uh, do you still think it's remarkable? Does it hold up after this article? It does. Uh, the, uh, the idea is that this is a, a very different attack towards the use of science. And what really impressed me was that uh, this book actually, uh, the people went out, they got the message, they figured out what was going on, and they incorporated, they subsumed the science, and they used it. Now, I don't agree with a lot of the conclusions at all, but I was very impressed with their approach. And, uh, and that's what I, I told Carol. And uh, it, it was a very, very interesting kind of um, uh, new approach for me. Uh, usually there's a sort of an avoidance of science and uh, evidence or whatnot, the way that a real um, clinician might approach things. This was a whole different ballgame. Um, the conclusions, though, no. 
No, I'll just tell you the idea of a dispassionate scientific observer. Uh, forget that. We all have angles. We have uh, thoughts and, and uh, ideas. And if I had to bet, I'd tell you that Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs are wrong. And what I do is I challenge them, hey, you know what? Let's see some data. There's, there's a way to corroborate this. Let's see it. Well, Jeff, do you want to comment yeah. on that? Because I know that you would come across in your emails um, – uh, something having to do with uh, was it a god I'm going to screw this up so you'll have to tell me a gynecologist that had said hey I want to look at your data on uh, on the missing pregnancies and they said no well yeah I mean uh, Don Ecker had sent me uh, well in the course of, of recording another program Don Ecker and I had met and he had uh, had spoken of uh, a Dr. Richard Neal who was uh, interested in in particular, the missing fetus syndrome, which became like the big uh, topic in within the alien abduction sphere for a while, and um, and of course Don, as research director of UFO Magazine, he knew uh, Bud and David, and therefore referred uh, Doctor Neil to them uh, in the hopes of Doctor Neil being able to examine these uh, the medical files of these of these women who had experienced this. And, um, well, all basically that Don had said in the email was that uh, um, in the course of him trying to contact these two gents uh, to to talk to them about getting in contact with their their subjects and possibly looking at medical records and maybe even examining them, I really don't know what the game plan was, but uh, they never took him up on it. And, uh, And he couldn't figure out why they were impeding his his uh, you know his, his his desire in essence to substantiate possibly their contentions or their work uh, which I thought spoke volumes about just how you know sure they were uh, when it came to their uh, you know to their conclusions about what was going on well Carol to your um, knowledge has bud um, given his work over to anyone like that or has he always sort of been hesitant to do that? I think he would if he had someone that he relied on. Uh, in other words, someone who was very substantial and he thought was a good witness. Um, I, 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 we came across this problem in doing some research on one of his cases for sight unseen. Um, it, it's mostly anecdote. The, the the doctors are either dead. Um, I mean, you're talking to women who are probably, uh, my guess would be, most of them would be in their 40s and 50s. So their gynecologists, when they were in their 20s, are either can't be found or the medical records can't be found. There's almost no traceability often. I don't know that there were ever any medical records actually handed over. We had um, a, a personal friend who, with experiences who it did get, actually in, in our hands, we had her medical records, not on a missing pregnancy, but on scars and adhesions um, on her womb, and her uterus, and those were due Primarily, I mean, it was very, very, very intricately detailed by the physicians and the surgeons. They were adhesions and scars caused by um, nodules, and they went in and removed those. 
Uh, but in terms of actually having medical records for a missing pregnancy, I don't believe anyone has ever held those in their hands. Well, maybe we should back up and um, get into the fact that you wrote this and why you wrote this now. I mean, I think even though you, I thought, spelled it out nicely right up front in the article why you're writing this now, there are still people who are wondering why you're writing this now. Does it have anything to do with being the ex-wife and all of that sort of stuff? I mean, I chalk that up to sexism, but maybe you'd like to comment on that. Oh, how annoying. (laughs) It's the most cliched um, thing to come up with. Uh, The thing is, I was very deeply involved in this research. I was in there and active in it for certainly the first four years, and then even longer. Um, It wasn't that I was just, you know, the wife on the side serving coffee. I was actually interested in it for my own probably spiritual-seeking reasons, and you know, coming from a fundamentalist background and then going really far away from that, I still have lots of, there's lots of seeking that goes on. What's it all about? Where'd we come from? Where are we going? Basic human questions. And when I got involved in this, I began to believe it was exactly what you know, the closest people around me were telling me it was. Alien abduction, you know, with the intent to take over the world. Um, as we went further into the, the gathering of information, I began to be disillusioned by the way this research was being done. To the, I, I would bring up the problem areas that I saw, the ones I mentioned in the article. And I would almost be shouted down. You you really shouldn't be asking questions here. And uh, that was so reminiscent of, uh, you know, my my adolescence in asking questions. I I thought, what is going on here? Is this a cult or is this a totalitarian regime that we can't ask questions? So it was my time to ask questions try to figure out for myself why I did what I did and why I was involved. And if I caused any harm, I want to say I'm sorry while I can. Uh, well, let's let's see. The, the Jim Montalaro case, uh, did that happen before or after you wrote Sight Unseen? Uh, boo, I'm trying to think. Um, I think that was happening while we were writing it. Well, I was writing my part, which took two years longer than Bud took. He's he's a he's quite a pro at, at writing this stuff. He's very fast, and I'm not quite as fast, and I do a lot more research. So I took a lot longer, and I think this was going on, the Mortalaro thing was going on while I was still doing some writing. So was this unraveling for you in your mind, you know, the all of his research, essentially, as you were sort of finishing up Sight Unseen? Uh, yeah, the actual uncomfortable part of it was uh, it took two and a half years for me to research and write it. And I would say in the last year, I was pretty thoroughly disillusioned with what the findings, what what Bud and Dave Jacobs said the findings were, I no longer fully believed in. 
and it's really hard to write a book that you have to deliver that matches the chapter that came before when you're not sure you believe it. So I've been in a state of trying to get settled in my own mind what this is about. And I in, first of all, I just want to say I in no way dismiss the experiences that people who came in the door have. They are having genuine experiences of some kind. And I still would love to understand what those are. Well, I'd like to ask either of you, um, had either of you, were either of you familiar with uh, hypnosis, you know, sort of the, the downside of hypnosis, which seems to be everything. I mean, was that, did you know that back then? And, and Tyler, did, have you known that? I mean, is that common knowledge outside of ufology? It is not common knowledge outside of ufology. And I think uh, I'll just speak for myself. Uh, I knew very little, and I was quite shocked to hear some of the things that Scott Lillianfeld revealed, and I started to look for some more information. And, uh, and that's where I'd say, you know what, you have a real problem here with this tool. And uh, corroboration is essential, absolutely essential. So I would also like to say, um, before we go further, that... Um, I'm with Carol on the experience. Whatever abduction is, it's very mysterious, but there's a phenomenon there that uh, I personally, and I think everybody, would like to understand. And if the hypotheses of some investigators don't pass muster, so be it. That's the way it goes in science. But the phenomenon still stands, and we need to get after that. Yes, and get after it with tools that may not be taken directly from science, but maybe we need to invent new tools. I mean, we had that discussion with John Mack often, and I think Bud would say that too, that new tools need to be developed to research a phenomenon that is will-o'-the-wisp. It's, you know, sometimes it's solid and physical in front of you, and sometimes it's totally elusive. To your knowledge, Carol, did John Mack use hypnosis in the same way that uh, Bud and Dave did? Because I've heard that he used it as uh, more of a relaxation technique and less of a, you know, sort of deep hypnotic state. I don't know if he started using, if he, I mean, if he began his investigation into abductions, perhaps using some hypnosis. I do know absolutely that he moved away from it um, towards in the last, I would say, five years of his work, he would use um, basically some relaxation techniques. So you're saying he didn't really even use it at all? Well, that where is the cutoff point between relaxation and hypnosis? Can you point that one out? Well, I would think an altered state of mind where you're completely suggestible. and I mean, you know, from what Dr. Lillianfeld pointed out uh i i can't think of a relaxed state where i would not know that i'm drawing from uh an emotion i felt reading a book or watching a tv show or a real life event mm-hmm. um so for me anyway i mean that would be the line is when you can't tell why you're feeling what you're feeling anymore where it comes from and just sort of you know co-creating a scenario that would be an altered state to me yes i I haven't been in one like that, so I can't personally speak to that. 
I mean, I, I know that you can tell when someone is profoundly relaxed. You can see it on my videotapes. You can hear it. People's speech slurs. They slow down. They, they almost sound drunk, actually. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's an aspect of relaxation or if there is some sort of a definitive line. I mean, some of the research I looked at said they weren't sure you could really draw a line and say when the person was hypnotized. I'm not sure it's measurable, in other words. Hmm. Uh, did you know um, prior to Emma, Emma Woods that uh, Jacobs was using not only phone but instant message hypnosis? Did you know about this? No, no. Do you think Bud did? Yes. Yes. Why do you think Bud never hasn't? It still seems as though I mean he's still defending him, right? Publicly, he went on coast to coast and you know said David Jacobs and I treat treat our clients the same way. Uh, so I'm just wondering, why do you think, or do you think that that there's some private conversation about you need to stop what you're doing between the two of them? Nope, I don't think so. Uh, they they are best friends. They spend hours on the telephone together and talking about their cases and they do share some um they do share some uh what do we call them we calling them experiencers abductees yeah experiencers okay um they share some people back and forth um i know earlier they did i don't know if they do now but they they reinforce each other's uh, methods and ideas and view of what this phenomenon is. And I think there's a little bit of father-son stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. And Tyler, what do we do? What do we do, with, what do we do with all this research and all of these conclusions? This seems to be people's problem. I mean, do we just go, well, there's no, there are no standards for, um, uh, 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 there's no standards in, in the way that we treat human subjects. Uh, hypnosis is bad. The research is bad. But yet, what do we do with the fact that the alien image that's out there, uh, you know, this is what this phenomena is, is going to stick regardless of the fact that uh, what went into that image has been, I don't know, what are we calling it here if not debunked, has been dismantled. Dismantled. Yeah, I like that term. I mean, do you run into this in 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 science where – well, I, you must, right? I mean, even just the uh, the crossover between, say, Newtonian physics and and the new physics, where where people who aren't educated in one still see the world uh, in the way of the other, uh, even though the you know new findings show the world doesn't work that way and that sort of thing. You think that's comparable to this? I mean, you think that this is, even though this has been dismantled, it's always going to be an uphill battle because we're stuck with this image that this thing has produced. The image is pretty unsavory, but um, the dismantling is critical. Okay, this this is the first step. This is every day in science. This last week with my collaborators uh, at Banner Sun Health, we're writing papers complaining about something that's going on in Alzheimer's disease research. And you didn't know there was a vaccine against Alzheimer's, did you? There is one. It's investigational. No, and no. It, wait a minute. There's a vaccine against Alzheimer's? Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it <laughs> it's has not revealed. authorized. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, it doesn't work. Um, it uh, doesn't protect against dementia. It, it's had some biochemical successes, uh, but it may have revealed a flaw in our thinking. 
Mm. But the thinking is very entrenched, mm. and there are many vested interests. Uh, and I'm not criticizing scientists to say, okay, it's financial, but there are careers on the line. There are, um, there's prestige threatened. Yes. And, the, and again, this is where the facts are not known, so we're swirling around. And, you know, where there's no facts, there's plenty of opinions. But these battles, these dismantlings, this is the process. Hmm. Nobody wants to be here. Nobody wants to be here. We wanted to be at the point where Elon and some other companies were making billions off these new vaccines. And that's not the way it worked out. So now we step back and say, what can we establish as the facts? Where can we go? And ever the optimists, I'd say that, um, you know what, we're not done yet. We don't know what the truth of the matter is with some of these allegations. Let's find out. And we'll go from there and just keep slugging somewhere, somehow. There's got to be a way to push this ahead a millimeter and then another one. Uh, but no, this is normal, situation normal. Uh, you put out a hypothesis, it doesn't work, then you get over yourself and you <laughs> develop a new one. The difference is in your field, though, Tyler, you've, you have a, a cadre of researchers who are all working under similar principles, similar guidelines for getting knowledge. Yeah, good and point. When they don't work out, People will do what you say. They, they will step back and fight a little bit and have all sorts of contrary articles that go out. But they're still using the same rules of the game. And they'll move forward in that way, building on this loss. What will happen in the field of ufology? Do you want my personal opinion? Yes. I think what will have to happen is a new generation of investigators. Maybe that will be people like Jeremy and Jeff. We say, let's try some other tools, and let's do this and that, and I have a better rationale, um, you know, sort of a, a stronger program, a slightly different tack. And the, the, the real difference is there's no place to publish like there is in, in my field. I have biochemical journals. Uh, people are doing this all on their own, and that's led to quite a wide mix of, um, I guess, quality. Yes. And right now, as I said in the article, the, the only way to ensure quality is to do exactly the kind of things that Paratopia is doing, and that is shining the light and uh, letting the chips fall where they may. And uh, There's very little alternative to that, unless you want misbuilding. And well, that's just the thing. I want. think uh, people do. I mean, it, it seems like... Now, again, you know, most of the sort of reaction to this has been really positive, um, at least behind the scenes, but when I you know, visit forums where they decide to sort of pile on, um, you know, none of their criticisms make sense. <laughs> and one of them is that, well, we, you know, we've got it out for Jacobs and Hopkins. We've got it out for these guys. And it's like, no, we, we have it out for the bad research. We have it out for that they're hurting other human beings. And, and everyone seems to be trying to protect an ideology over humans. You know, like... Well, you know what do you? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. They'll they'll have to um, step back and and try to realize what it is that's being done here. And a comfort zone's been violated. I think you're seeing the first steps that that people have an, a picture. This is the way it is. It's the way that somebody said, it, and I'm comfortable with that, and, and I like that. And now you're threatening that, and that's why I say that was the difference with my colleagues. They got no dog in the fight. 
these other people are a lot more invested. It's going to take a while. Well, I, I would actually go further than that. They're more than invested. I think that there are a great many people in the alien abduction area, especially, who are over, way over into true belief and verging on the edge of religion. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I think I mentioned on the last show is that, you know, we're we're not only going up against this notion of hypnosis, alien abduction, and the common scenario that has been put forth over decades now. You're also talking about, and, and, and Tyler, I'm, I'm going to assume this probably happens in science as well, is that, you know, we're actually pulling out a cornerstone because this isn't just about alien abduction in that scenario. It's about everything that's been built on top of that foundation that we're finding out is built on sand. Uh, and so the building is not stable to begin with. You know, so it, it's not only going against uh, the belief systems, like Carol said, and the, the the commonality of the notion of okay, here's what's going on, because we've got all this data compiled from hypnosis, but also everything that's been built upon that for years now. I mean, go out oh, there, read the message boards. I mean, th- that's exactly what the problem is. That's a critical observation, and that. Um, for someone that was, was, when I was a kid, was very interested in reading and uh, went through uh, every book and magazine I could get my hands on in the 60s, then suddenly coming back now, as if I'd been in a time warp because of the UFO field I had, um, so much is in fact revolving around the abduction phenomenon, which was completely taboo, as far as I could tell, even amongst the people writing the books uh, way, way back when I was a kid. Right. And yeah, you, you're, it's beyond cornerstone. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a major uh, observation here. And, and that, again, means that uh, time is, is probably going to be very important, that people are going to fight you. Um, the way it often goes in science is that uh, you defend your turf for a while and you go back and you go, oh, crap. Yeah, and, and that I mean, you know, you have that thinking process that I don't know what it is. It has to incubate for a while. Yeah. Well, I mean, the um, it, it, I have to point out that this is not really a unique situation to ufology in that um, you know the, the ghost phenomena uh, and how it's investigated and all of the quote unquote tools employed in that uh, are not necessarily the best tools for the job either. And um, and I think you're absolutely right. Like when you talk about reading about abduction back in the 60s, 70s, even early 80s, the story hasn't changed. And the progress, I don't know, there's been this illusion of progress, I feel like. You know, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting progress. We're making headway. Well, what are we making headway in? Uh, well, you know, think, isn't, I, that, isn't that where Carol's work comes in in a way? Because she's saying that. The illusion of progress, I would think, is that they have keep upping the ante with these books, you know, looking for the next big thing um, and then creating it. And so that looks like an illusion of, of yeah. progress. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and it's just it the point. Like creating. The, growth, the growth of knowledge is what they call it. When they, right. when they move from, you know, what was known, known uh, and I use that in quotes, from intruders and whether where it's the um, – the, uh, Alien hybrid babies were discovered, and 
these researchers use those words as if they are literally true. We discovered this. Well, no, you heard someone recall that as memory under hypnosis. And sometimes, sometimes um, as uh, what appear to be memories or perhaps their dreams. Um, But there's something else here I wanted to say about it isn't just hypnosis that's wrong. It's something, I guess I would call a suggestive context. And that's where you have someone knowing what these famous people do. I mean, they've been on every television show that had anything to do with the paranormal or history or science, which is considerable these days. And they come into their presence having read their books, and they are troubled. There is something they want to be resolved, and they don't necessarily want it to be alien abduction. But when they come in the room and sit down opposite Bud or Dave... They're pretty much all geared up to find out that it's um, extraterrestrial visitation. Oh, yeah. You're ultimately primed at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I can point out, again, that's not just you know, unique to ufology. That's, that's or unique to abduction research. That's, uh, you know, that's across the board in this stuff. I mean, anybody who would come to me with a photograph they want looked at or a video they want examined, you know, my answer to them being bird, airplane, meteor, that's not what they want to hear. Right. Uh, I mean, more often than not, you'll get this unbelievable resistance to that sort of answer. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's it's uh, the desperation for answer, you know, right. which I think, I think that's inherent in everybody. It uh, is, and I have a great deal of sympathy for it. Of course, people mm-hmm. want to figure out why they don't sleep at night or why they have strange phobias. Sure. They do want to find that out. Yeah, yeah. But if if they come to a person who is known uh, as a famous author or on television a lot, um, and that person frames their experience in terms of a UFO abduction case, uh, I would say that happens in many, uh, almost... All of the time. Let's say the person says, um, I just freak out when I see a clown face. And I've heard heard Bud say, well, you know, I hate to tell you this, but that pretty much proves it. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Psychiatrists have a term called colorobia, which is uh, the, the, the phobia or fear of clowns. And they're pretty scary. And you can't you can't take one thing like that and just automatically assume the person has been abducted by aliens. Wow. Well, I'm just afraid of clowns because one approached me in a bad way on Bastille Day. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I punched a mime. What do you want from me? Uh, Carol, I'm curious, uh, you know, back when you were essentially in the thick of this, well, I guess the question bears asking first is, how did people approach uh, Mr. Hopkins for help to begin with? I mean, in what channels did these people come to him? Well, in the early days, <laughs> in the beginning, it was certainly via letters. I mean, stacks and stacks and stacks of letters. And 
there is something extremely convincing about, and I, I don't think it can all be explained away, especially the letters that came in the, um, primarily in the 70s and the 80s. They came thick and heavy in the 80s. And there's such a similarity in them. I mean, you'd have to actually go out, if you wanted to say this was cultural contagion, you'd have to go out and do a serious study of exactly what was out in what medium where. You know, was it the round spacecraft? Was it a big-eyed creature, and then try to match it up with what was being said in these letters. But each one is a very personal, um, fairly unique experience. But the elements uh, that went along with their experience are not unique. There is an overlap, and that is that certainly is what convinced John Mack to be involved. Right. O- opening unopened letters, and how do you explain that overlap time after time? Well, how much uh, that you saw, I should say, how much of an experience did people actually recall outright before coming to have any kind of hypnosis done at all? And the letters will show you often quite a bit. Mm-hmm. They, they, uh, they might point out a, a troubling piece they can't remember. They don't know what happened during this time and that time. Um, or they can't explain why they have a certain fear of a, uh, you know, a shadow in a certain place. They don't know why. But often, I, and, and here's where, if we had some data, that would be very helpful. Let's say somebody took the thousands of letters that are here in this house and began to, Maybe someone has done that. I don't know. You can tell me if they have. But literally have a, have a list of what the elements are in the letters and, you know, what, what gender, what part of, what region of the country, what background the person was, and begin to build a database. That wouldn't be that hard with today's software. Right. Why do you think that um, Jacobs and Hopkins often say, that you need to be hypnotized or that people don't remember a lot outright. That's why they need to be hypnotized. They don't trust people who haven't been hypnotized, that sort of thing, if the letters don't reflect that. I don't think they say that, actually. I've heard them say that. Really? Yeah. I haven't heard Bud say he doesn't trust someone who hasn't been hypnotized. Yeah, maybe that's more Jacobs than than Bud. Yeah. Bud is a little more careful to be understated than Jacob's, which is why Jacob's case with Emma just shocked the pants off of me, and um, I don't feel I'm that shockable. (laughs) Well, uh, let me ask you the $10 million question that, I mean, I've been asking since I read your your article. Um, And I'm curious if you ever approached Bud with this question. How does he justify the use of a tool, which is predominantly a behavior modification tool used by psychology, with no formal training whatsoever? I asked him that on camera, and he said, doctors can make mistakes just like anyone else. Psychiatrists can make mistakes just like anyone else. And basically, a layperson can 
learn to be pretty good at hypnosis. I think he's good at it. <laughs> he's very good at getting the person into that state uh-huh. and um, guiding them into recalling certain events. And in the process of the hypnosis itself, I think only indirectly does he does he lead. I think the leading happens in that suggestive context for for Bud. What I heard in the Emma Woods case, and I wouldn't really have believed it if I hadn't heard it on tape, is the leading both pre-hypnosis and the leading while she was under hypnosis. Um, at least in the sessions that I videotaped with Bud, there was not that much leading happening under while the person was under hypnosis. I think leading happened in the interview before they went under hypnosis. So he didn't uh, he didn't feel any sense of I don't know wrongness no. <laughs> about not knowing the subtle nuances of what hypnosis does, its background, its pitfalls, its uh, finer points. Uh, I mean, what did he do? Watch a goddamn videotape or something? I mean, clue me in here. How do you learn this? (laughs) He worked with two different uh, psychotherapists, uh, Bob Naiman and um, Aphrodite Clamar, and a really strange woman, uh, Rima Labo. Um, they're all uh, psychiatrists, I believe all three of them are. And he observed them. They did all of the hypnosis with the people he brought to them in the beginning. The first, I don't even remember how many years, but it might have been seven, eight. I, I think people can. I mean, you know, I know how to make films, and I never took a film course. You, you can make, you can do, you can learn these things. Well, you learn hypnosis, yeah, but, you, but, but you're not. You, You're not diddling with people's minds. Though. Absolutely. Here's, yeah. You can learn hypnosis, but you can't. But you still need to know yeah. about the the patient client relationship. You know, you all of that. Absolutely. Ab- Absolutely, and that's where I think both of our primary abduction researchers they are lacking in those skills, and they're crucial for the safety of a subject. Uh, doctor, I'm curious. Um, you know, one of the things we keep hearing, I mean, we got this from the first Lillenfeld episode when he came on, and uh, not only did we hear the line, well, does that mean we have to throw away all of the data that's been collected through hypnotic recall over all these years, uh, to which my answer was, uh, yeah. But also, you know, if this tool is gone, then what are we supposed to do? Besides talk to people about who recall this stuff outright. Which there are, of which there are plenty. Let's make that clear. Uh, Actually, you're boring into a very important place to go, mm-hmm. and that is precisely the folks that recall without too much prompting. That's an underexploited resource. And, oh. uh, one could go in, get after that, and build new databases, as Carol said, You know, get an idea of what the experience really entails from non-tainted sources as best you can find them. And then you could work backwards and say, hey, you know what? These folks that weren't hypnotized, we're getting a lot of commonalities here. Right. And maybe kind of go back and see if there is anything worth retaining. 
But you're right. You, this thing is so fouled that you really don't want to build on sand anymore. You're going to have to dig yeah. to a foundation. Well, well, let me just say, though, that I think the the confounding factor here is the fact that the the alien abduction and, and invasion scenario is just rampant in, in at least Western culture, not nearly so much in non-Western culture. But I don't even know how it's possible to study this phenomenon anymore. It was back in the days of Betty and Barney Hill, perhaps, but even then, you know, it was on television, it was in the comic books, it was in newspapers, and I don't know how you get around that issue. They would take a scientist, which I am not, to design some way to study a phenomenon that does have so many tendrils uh, inter with cultural artifacts. No, it is a problem. Well, I can tell you you one problem is is that everybody's looking for the answers or the better questions to all this stuff inside ufology. There's one problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, rarely do people want to go outside of this field to consult anyone with... um, uh, who, who might not have a direct interest and maybe... Uh, in a subject matter that, let's be honest, might not interest all of us all that much, but but which you know you might find a thread to to try and pull on. And I I always thought that's how you made some kind of progress in this stuff is to go away from it and uh, and find some tidbit of a of a clue and and just pull on that and say is there a connection here with this? And then go to the people who actually have a profession in this and are. Uh, ultimately qualified, literate, and trained in their field, um, you know, to to do that. And I think too many people inside ufology immediately say science equals debunker equals the enemy. You know, yeah. and and that is a very big problem because I, I haven't met yet, uh, at least on our show, anyone, uh, and we've gone routinely outside of ufology that I would say this guy is clearly an enemy. <laughs> this guy clearly just doesn't get it. Or, you know, we've had people who have refused to accept a paranormal stance on this stuff. Absolutely. But, um, but I still think they've brought some value to, to the, to the tone uh, of the whole conversation. Um, the problem, uh, Tyler is, you know, this big groundwork is now set. And, and even though, we see it as pulling out the cornerstone. This hasn't, you know, percolated throughout the entire field yet. Uh, once it does, what the reaction is going to be? Who knows? Will it faction off into separate, uh, you know, little groups? I, I, I imagine it will. That's what it usually happens throughout all this stuff. Um, but it, for for your opinion, for your, if you could rule uh, ufology, not that I'd ever wish such a horrible thing on a nice man like you. Um, <laughs> But, you know, what would be how you would approach to set a framework or at least, you know, <laughs> at least some sort of a pie chart <laughs> uh, as to how to approach a phenomena like this in study that by its very nature, and if we don't know anything else, we know this, it's elusive. So It's, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can't. I can't, uh, can't hide that fact. Um, I think the idea of 
it, like you keep coming back to, pulling a thread, finding something. There are ways to get after it. some of the, the statements, some of the hypotheses. We'll just call them hypotheses. Uh, Don Ecker, trying to, uh, working with the missing fetus syndrome. Find those women. Because once they've been pregnant, cells from the baby stay in them and stay alive for decades. I think that's amazing. This hasn't been well appreciated by people. Decades. You can find those cells coursing in the bloodstream. So we're looking for hybrid baby cells. Find me anything, okay? <laughs> Get me a sample is, is what I would say. And, and that's where you can go outside, uh, which I think Peritopia has been you know, really um, sort of leading the way on this, and ask people who do genomics. Go to Sequinome in San Diego and say, hey, you know, how much blood do I need? It's actually 10 milliliters is all you need, one blood draw. Uh, and we can start doing DNA sequencing. But then some of the hypotheses live or die. Mm. There'll be some data. And, and we can start to go, okay, that's wrong. We're done there. You know, mm. move on. If I get uh, you the blood, will you get me the results? What do you need? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't it expensive? <laughs> it's sort of my... That's the question, oh. yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Now, I'm acting like it's trivial. It is, in fact, not. But, you know, I come back to Dr. Jacobs, and if the entire fate of the universe for humans is writing on this, can't you find a Lawrence Rockefeller to, yeah. to help us out? Well, you know? he's got chastity belts. I mean, he doesn't need all that fancy oh, technology. We had to go there now, didn't we? <laughs> well, get me the chastity belt, okay, and, and we'll scrape it for DNA. Oh, boo. There, okay. there are, in fact, ways to do this. I doubt that aliens who can travel interstellar space are going to be perplexed by a chastity belt. <laughs> but, okay, you know, get me one. Well, let, me anyway, ask, let me ask you It's about, a real stopper. You know that. It's a real stopper. <laughs> let me ask you, um, in terms of testimony, I mean, how do you, or do you, uh, are you able to create outlier data uh, of people's testimony when it comes to the unknown? That's a tough one. Uh, and for that, I'd say probably you're getting more into the realm of someone like Scott Lilienfeld, who, who's a lot more uh, tuned to psychology. I just really am not sure about that. Uh, can't help you much there. And this is another problem with science. Uh, we're so hyper-specialized. I work with a couple of proteins in Alzheimer's disease, and I know them well. <laughs> but get beyond that a little bit, and I have to back up and think or look things up or talk to somebody else. And you shouldn't be um, basically afraid to talk to many people. Uh, it's going to take a village here. But Tyler, do you, do you think a new, a new science needs to be developed? Or, a, 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 forgive the word, a, a hybrid between um, uh, physics and psychology and traditional uh, science? Do we need new techniques to look at this phenomenon? Actually, uh, some of it you can attack right now with some genetic techniques and begin to either say, you know what, there's something there or not. And if you repeatedly can't find it, uh, you begin to, to think that the hypothesis doesn't work. And so uh, if there are independent hybrids, uh, if there are uh, aborted pregnancies, contaminated chastity belts, whatever, we can use that data and, and, and answer those questions. And that. That's what I was referring to in the article, a fatal error of sorts. Their hypotheses got too florid. They got 
I think, in my opinion. It's still my opinion. Uh, the data will then give us the answer. They got too far beyond the objective data. I, I don't believe that they're correct, but I'll also stand in any public forum if they prove it and say, uh, guys, can I be on your team? Because <laughs> I want to the Nobel too. Right, right. And that's what this would be. Yeah. So anyway, is there a new science? Uh, ufology kind of is the, the ultimate hybrid because you have to cover so many areas. Physics, astronomy, uh, statistics, psychology, biology, all rolled into one. It's impossible to find one person that can do it all. Carol, let me ask you, when um, the Jim Montalaro thing happened and, and uh, you know, basically some people broke away from the Intruders Foundation, mm-hmm. do you have any idea why they never spoke out? Loyalty, um, uh, a desire to not hurt the field, and that I had to think about myself. It is not my intent to hurt the field. It's a desire to to bring some truth to it that can be true. Well, it just seems odd. I mean, there were psychologists on the panel, right? On the on the board. Yes, and two of them left. Um, I don't know if one has come back, perhaps, and does some work with Bud. I mean, I don't mean to sound flippant, but is hurting human beings just negligible to hurting the field? Um, Especially if you're a, a psychologist, I would think that that would be like a number one on your list, you know, that's, protect the people. That's why they left, and that's why they asked to have a group meeting where they could find out where, why there were no um, checks and balances here, and they needed input if their names were going to be used on in the Intruders Foundation. And that meeting as a group, I believe, never happened. Hmm. Uh, when you listen to the Emma Woods tapes, did any part of you think, well, she must have edited them to sound as bad as they are, that that can't really, those conversations could not really have taken place? No, I don't. And I've edited miles of video and audio tape in my life. And what she's done is she's faded between sec- sections. She may well have, I mean, because as Tyler and I have often said to each other, we do only know mainly one side of the story, which is Emma's, and we have to keep that in mind. We haven't heard every, you know, every jot and tittle of those of those tapes. We don't know what she eliminated about herself. Perhaps I don't know. But I, it doesn't, none of it rings false to me in terms of the clips that I have heard come up out of a conversation or a hypnosis session. They are standalone uh, sentences. And she may have two or three clusters back to back, but it isn't as if she took a, a, words and was juxtaposing the words out of an edit. That is not the way that sounds there would be a lot more jerks and jars in it unless she's a very skilled professional and i don't believe that's her profession i i just want to say one thing about the notion of the hurting of people involved in regression or even any kind of quote-unquote therapeutic uh, discussion of uh, their own experiences in this whether hypnosis is employed or not um and this is strictly from my viewpoint. It's like 
the reason, and I know because I started uh, uh, basically what it pointed to, a, a discussion group uh, of experiencers who, um, oddly enough, only maybe a couple, if that, had gone to have hypnosis done. You know, it, it's therapeutic to talk about this stuff, and it's uh, uh, it was much to the, the dismay of some of the UFO researchers who would attend these meetings, saying that we were contaminating each other, that sort of thing, which, to my knowledge, never happened with any of us. And we all found it to be beneficial, because here's the end of it from me, who's had this crap in his life since he was five years old that he can remember. You got to find out some way to integrate it. And you've got to realize that, you know, this may not be everybody's world, but it's damn sure your own. Uh, you're not crazy. You, you have the job, you have the family, the house, uh, all of the meaningless toys and gizmos. You, you live a good, pretty good life. I mean, you're pretty happy most of the time. Uh, but you've got this thing. And, uh, and this thing is unexplainable, bizarre, fearful, all of that. And so the end, in the end result, you're trying to integrate this into your life. That's what is so disruptive about it to me. And so if Dr. Jacobs and Bud and whoever else in some way helps people to integrate this, uh, that's great. But here's my caveat to that. Wait, could I just respond to that? Because I think that is that they definitely do a lot of what you just said. Right. I think that just be, I mean, often psychotherapy, no matter what form of it you're, you're employing with your patient, that person improves just because they've had that human contact mm-hmm. and that other mind listening and receiving. And I think that I watched Bud do that with people and give them that attention, that responsiveness, mm-hmm. and there was a calming effect to that, and that you, you can't take that away from, you know, the work no, that's done. No, certainly not, but here's, here's kind of my caveat to all of that, is that, and this is, again, it's strictly from my viewpoint, my opinion here, when you're then going into a faulty tool suggestibility, confabulation, cultural contamination, all of these issues coming up in probably in no small way exacerbating fear. Um, Because no doubt some of these people are reading the books. They're reading, you know, with titles like The Threat. Uh, You know, this this has taken on the appearance of monsters. And so (laughs) it's one thing to me to help people integrate this, but it's another thing to effectively, I don't know, somehow suggest material that's inherently fearful and then help them integrate that in Yes. when perhaps there might not have been the need for integration at all Yes. <laughs> is the point. Uh, that's what I find to be the harmful part of this is that we don't know. Uh, let, let's be honest about this, that, that hypnosis is an indeterminable in its usefulness, because we cannot separate confabulation from what might have happened or the mix of the two. This could be as finely woven as, you know, uh, you know, a, a Longenberger basket. I mean, this could be that tightly woven to where fact and, and confabulation mesh so tightly together yes. um, that you can't tell. And therefore, 
what are we helping to integrate? And see, here's the second half of the problem. And uh, Tyler mentioned the resistance. Here's where this resistance is going to really be a problem, as I see it with, with all of this. The people who have undergone uh, regression of any type, as Dr. Lillenfeld told us, those memories are now equally as powerful, if not more powerful, than actual recall. Yes. Conscious recall. And so you've got people who are not delusional, who are not uh, out of their minds, but have a memory that is every bit as real as you and I eating breakfast this morning. Let's try to convince them that's a problem. I don't think you can let go of that. I think that's going to take a lot of work uh, to make someone understand that what you think happened that feels so incredibly real to you probably didn't take place. <laughs> That's yes. a tough nut to crack right there. Right. And I believe uh, the, the brain waves of a person who is falsely remembering a trauma, and I'm not even talking about alien abduction here, but these are, would be traumatic events that had happened, whether it was sexual abuse or a, a, a war wound, that the brain waves can be measured for a false memory to be exactly the same for a true event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because it's, you know, I, I go back to the Seinfeld episode, you know, it, it's not a lie, Jerry, if you believe it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's the part where, I mean, people talk about the polygraph and, you know, uh, all that's been exposed about the polygraph, uh, uh, polygraph as of late. Um, we know that's probably not a reliable tool either. And so I, I'm curious, uh, Tyler, when you, you know, I mean, you're a, you're a scientist, and um, I'm not saying that you've probably got your finger on the pulse of all of science-dom, uh, but do you think that from the wings that science is watching this and going, okay, maybe they're getting their act together, <laughs> and maybe it's time – you know, I kind of break the, uh, you know, the perceptual wall that this is taboo and we can't uh, be involved in this and maybe try to do something now that things seem to be, uh, I mean, a fraction of normalization is going on. Do you think that that sort of thing could happen? Yes, and it, it'll happen one investigator at a time. And uh, it'll be uh, somebody, you were, or, um, Jeremy, saying, hey, can you help us with this? Uh, you know, we have, we've seen these observations. This is what's going on. Uh, but is science as a whole uh, paying attention? Not in the least. Mm-hmm. Not in the least. There's no money in it, okay? I, I hate to be so crass, mm-hmm. but uh, there are no funding organizations uh, unless you're going to do this as a psychological study. Mm-hmm. It is so much more lucrative professionally and uh, basically monetarily for me to study things like Alzheimer's disease where I can have grants and publications and uh, data that comes so much more easily, this is an, almost an impossible problem. Mm-hmm. And that alone gives one pause. Uh, for a young assistant professor, death. This, this particular field is death. Mm-hmm. You would have no publications. You would have no solid data or very little of it. Everybody would be going, well, wow, yeah, you got the parameters of a mystery. Um, I, I don't expect to see uh, you know a giant race anytime soon 
despite the fact that, that I believe progress is being made here. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that, um, and this is a very real possibility, at least in my mind, that, um, uh, and how do you voice this? Uh, <laughs> somebody, you know, who's been in this as long as I have. I mean, uh, I've said this before, so I guess it's no big surprise to anybody, but what happens uh, when maybe we come to some sort of realization that there is a definite non-physicality uh, to what's going on, but yet still being some sort of external driver to all that. Um, do you think science will just go, oh, well, that's it? You know, I mean, because I've heard scientists talking on different talk shows, and uh, dismissive would be an understatement of the way they feel about this, but, uh, you know, let's just say that. Uh, the last scientist that I heard talk about this said, uh, yeah, this is all a very interesting subject on the face of it, but uh, you know, as time has gone on, there's been no physical evidence, which I've said myself. There is no physical evidence. We have nothing after all these years. Uh, time to look elsewhere. Valid point he's got, but then the next breath, it is, now the ufologists are telling that these craft can become invisible. Boogada, boogada. You know, which just... It really paints this as a foolish endeavor to even be associated with at all. Do you think that there are people out there who are going to be interested in this if it turns out that uh, we have to study this in sort of a non-physical, non-nuts-and-bolts, non-quote-unquote proof way? It will take, you'll have to find the right people. And I can tell you that it won't be the biochemists, uh, the folks that uh, do the, take the cells and do grind and find the geneticists, that are looking for DNA, uh, th- that will make it a, a very much, uh, if it's possible, less appealing problem. Mm. And uh, yeah, because, if for no other reason, because of its difficulty, it's hard even to comprehend what's going on. Mm. Um, I think honestly, maybe out there are some people. I hope who will listen and read and, and find these things and say, "I've got an idea." And quite honestly, they won't be the, necessarily the assistant professors. There will be people who are further along in their career who have a little bit of luxury of time and can, and can kind of delve into this a little bit. But it is, I'm not going to kid you. You're really fighting an uphill battle here. Of course, we don't know how things will turn out. Right. That's it. I, uh, I quit, you know. Uh, <laughs> I said I'm done. You know, so the, when well, the we've, we've got told... Tyler and we've got Wes Owsley, so that's two. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, you know, what I what I do find interesting is that there are people out there. Um, I mean, that we've had on this show, and uh, people like uh, David Roundtree, who you know, he's predominantly uh, a ghost investigator. You know, and we've all seen ghost hunters. I mean, how many times are we going to watch these people go into a house, uh, listen for noises, uh, set up some cameras, and record uh, um, unintelligible voices most of the time before we go? Okay, we get it. There's something going on. Now what? I mean, this is basically the same rerun every week. And, and David's uh, really taken a scientific turn to this and saying, you know, there are aspects of what surrounds this that we can actually measure. And we, can, we are getting readings that are consistent with uh, activity we cannot explain. Would, would you think that ufology would have to, you know, approach something in that kind of way that let's not, let's forget, again, taking the Hansenism here, and, 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 you know, George is my, my, my mentor uh, these days. Let's stop looking at 
the nut and bolt of the phenomena, but start looking at what surrounds it and trying to measure that aspect of it. Do you think science would be even interested in that? Wait, wait, wait. There have been people who have done that. Ted Phillips, Dick Hall, among others. Yeah, but again, Carol, that kind of stuff doesn't... I mean, when you're talking about Ted Phillips, he does great work. But when you look at that, can you actually say any of that could apply to what the enigmatic other is? And I don't think any amount of physical evidence, burn grass, broken tree limbs, it says something happened. But I don't think that any of those things you could conclusively say, this is the other. You know, that's the problem that I'm trying to get at with all of this. And, And that's where you keep hitting this wall. It's like, Yes, these things have been documented, and it's great work, but even Ted came on this program and said, my thought pattern in uh, how I view this has changed dramatically over one case. One case. What happened? Uh, Marley Woods happened, which is one of the most baffling, bizarre cases that you'll ever hear about. I mean, you can go read about it on on his website. Um, I I mean, it it involves all, all sorts of Weird perceptual uh, things in addition to interaction with not only the environment, the ground, the trees, etc., but also uh, animals being turned to puree in three seconds, that sort of thing. Um, And none of this seems to be leaving actual uh, pieces of itself around. And and when it does, and when there are some kind, there is some kind of... uh, material that can be analyzed it's baffling in its weirdness and so does that point to the other no but it certainly points that there's a lot of the nature of perception involved and not so much a nuts and bolts uh direction to this so if ted can get his mind blown by something like that then i'm inclined to think that the scientific community could look and say look what's surrounding these people who experience this weird stuff and, and, and look at the measurements they're getting. Don't you find that intriguing? Shouldn't we want to know more about that? And I mean, that would be the question I would ask science. Would you be interested in that? Well, that's... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah oh, definitely. Go ahead, Carol. Uh, I just wanted to... I, I brought up an email I wanted to respond to. Wouldn't you want to know? Um, Ray Fowler's uh, response to me uh, about that is, perhaps it's best not to know. What little we think we know can be frustrating and disturbing enough. One goes over and over these experiences forever, trying to make sense of them, but only ending up with speculation as strange as the phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, and, and how the hell do we know that that's not the whole point? You know, the, <laughs> ment- the mental exercise. Do some push-ups, people. You know. Boy, Tyler, you said you, you would be interested in that. Uh, yeah, Ted Phillips is the kind of guy that would draw me in, has drawn me in. And uh, I've actually communicated with him. Uh, and I think, again, this is the sort of place that uh, maybe, uh, you know, he's got the cameras out there. Uh, I think he's trying to get a spectrum from some of the little objects that come around. Uh, but when you listen to Ted, as I did on your show, and then I, I've kind of followed his, his uh, travels through the podcast world, this is a guy that makes a lot of sense, and he, he is, a nut, or at least was at one point, a nuts and bolts, trace element kind of guy or trace evidence kind of guy. He's the one that's going to make, that's going to bridge the gap, mm-hmm. and that's where I'd say where the breakthroughs are going to come. I think you were 
alluding to this before, Jeff, you know, like what's the hybrid, where do we go? Someone like Ted might be the, the, the bridge where you finally get a little something. Mm-hmm. Something well, to I mean, measure, something to see. Yeah, I mean, you've got brilliant people like him, and then you've got brilliant guys like uh, Jacques Vallée who – you know, come up with with, a, with an abstract that can be built upon and built upon. And what I find aggravating is I, I often frequent a, a kind of like a, a, a blog of source Rex on the on the uh, internet called boingboing.net. And uh, and Jacques occasionally will will write a a piece for that. And uh, and and I'm, I mean, not only do I find it personally insulting because he, to me, is one of the brightest lights in this field. Uh, and one of the most critical thinkers and and doers. I mean, he just gets lambasted on there by people who say that they're you know I am a scientist and I you know I find his uh, his work to be um, you know nothing but speculation and unfounded speculation and uh, you know he's lauded as blah blah blah. I mean, are scientists it, allowed on Boeing Boeing to just comment? I don't. Think so. uh, <laughs> hey, who knows if they are or not? I, I mean, they certainly speak as if they know what they're talking about. Um, I, I'm sure from every aspect of science, there's going to be s- some amount of resistance, but you're always going to get people who are interested, some of which have been on this show. Um, you know, but, but the question is, you know, how much is, how much is it going to take, uh, you know, before, I mean, it seems to me like even without all of what we've been discussing now in the magazine and in this podcast now, even all that aside, there's still this unbelievable amount of weighty evidence to me that says, hey, we need to get serious. Uh, but as you say, if there's no money, there's no, <laughs> there's not going to be any drive. I mean, is that essentially what's going to drive this whole thing is cash flow? If, if there's no um, formal granting process, the university scientists have a strong disincentive to participate. And you'll have to find people like Jacques Fillet and others who will basically invest their own time. Uh, I, I believe they're out there, and uh, I, I find it hard to believe that he's been attacked as viciously because I've learned a lot from him. And, uh, oh, yeah. This is, this is a, a difficult, we keep coming back to the same thing, but uh, almost impossible to comprehend. And here's a guy that spent a lot of time looking at the evidence, weighing the evidence. This is where he is, and he ain't stupid. Uh-uh. You know, let's, let's figure out where we're going to go from this point on. Uh, but yeah, the, it, it's not going to be the same thing as the war on cancer. Right. And the structure just isn't there. Um, and that means, you know, maybe people have to be a little bit entrepreneurial, uh, write reasonable books, uh, you know, do the lecture circuit. Uh, I think those are all basically laudable goals as long as you're looking for truth. Um, we'll have to be flexible in, in how we do this. But, yeah, you know, the, um, the sad part is that uh, many university scientists are basically judged by how much external grant funding contract money they bring in. Hmm. And that just puts them in the corner of, um, you know, I don't have time to deal with this. I, I'm sorry, i got to get a grant. See ya. Right. right. I, I know how to write the grants if you bring me the person with the project. That's right. Carol's a grant writer. Yeah. Hey, don't yeah. say that too loudly. Great. Can I have a grant? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Carol, as we wind this thing down, um, did, did any of the um, any of the feedback you get did it surprise you? 
No, not really. Well, actually, yes, uh, that that some of the old timers, some of the um, very respected uh, researchers in ufology stepped forward and said, we sensed there was something wrong here in this alien abduction research. We, we didn't know what it was. We don't have any way to get inside it and know. We only know what these unsupervised people tell us. And they thanked me for, you know, doing the dirty deed, which is to say, here's what happens inside it. At least in the 10 years that I was looking, I cannot say anything about what happened in the 30 years before, really. And I want to be very clear about that. I can only say what I witnessed. But people said, we knew this, we just didn't know it was this bad. Now, uh, as you and I've talked about, and as actually many, I guess, think we've all four talked about, why didn't anybody speak up? Will they? Do you get the sense that they will? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And the beat goes on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, just as like uh, you know, Tyler was saying about the the grant money, it's the same. It's the same play here. I mean, does nobody get that? It's it's you know, to speak out against this means you alienate uh, you know a potential publisher, um, you know, lecture presenter, uh, convention organizer, and that means. I don't go to Nevada this year to talk about uh, my case. I mean, uh, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, unfortunately, that is, to me, and Carol, I said this to you in a private email, that to me is one of the biggest driving forces in this, is uh, being off the grid. And, uh, hey, if I don't have to work for a living and you can talk about UFOs and study this and travel to different states studying cases, I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? (laughs) Who wouldn't want to do that? So, you know, um, uh, unfortunately, I think that that's going to be the biggest problem is that nobody wants to rock the boat because nobody wants to be out of the click. Right. So I guess my last question for you is, um, are you done? Are you because I, I, I think you had privately joked with me. I don't, I don't know how joking it was um, that someone had written, well, welcome to hell, meaning now we're going to really be in the shit. And you had said, well, who says I'm staying? Uh, So are you going to let it rest here or are you sticking around in this ufological mess for any other reason? I would like to extend the conversation outside of ufology. I mean, anyone who's interested in UFOs, I think will find it interesting, but I would like to open the issue of what this quest is. I would like to open it up to the mainstream audience. And I do have a couple of different ways to do that in two different mediums. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. And Tyler, what can we expect uh, out of you for uh, Paratopia Volume 2? It kind of depends on... Uh, what oh, wait a minute, really? <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting to go to hell, but all right, I'll go on. <laughs> so, I don't have any plans <laughs> at the moment. I, I, I react. I guess is the, Tyler, we won't be satisfied until your professional career is squarely in the toilet bowl. Well, I hate to tell you this, but there's no way you guys can can manage anything worse than what I've already done. So, okay, um, yeah. it, it's not a problem. It, you know, I mean, it, it's already tanked. Nah. And, uh, I, I'm just, you know, I enjoy the hell out of myself doing the science that I do, and uh, I'm 
just this little cog in the wheel, a little cockroach in the corner that can't be gotten to. And I'm fine. Okay. Yeah, you just and you just know people are people around Tyler's office are going. He wrote a piece on alien abduction. <laughs> no, he did. He wrote he wrote a, a piece from a scientist's perspective. That's right. That just said. Folks, something's wrong here. It needs to be fixed, and it's for the good of the people who are in on the experiment. That's what he said, and I think it's wonderful a scientist said that. Let me tell you, uh, and Tyler, I want to publicly say this because this to me is the most profound statement that that I've heard probably in the past 10 years on this subject. I'm going to quote this. In the alien abduction realm, the consumers of books, articles, and videos play a unique and crucial role as the ultimate evaluators of quality. Your decisions will determine the evidentiary standards and research conduct that will prevail in this field. There you go. Bam. Yeah, it's up to them. It's yeah. up to them. It's always um, been in our hands. That's what's really uh, sad about this whole thing. Well, the good news, though, the thing to always keep in mind when you, you get discouraged is that there are a lot of very smart people of goodwill who are trying. Mm-hmm. And somehow, things are going to happen. Something good is going to happen eventually. We have to wait out of hell. Okay. But we will. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for writing uh, such a great piece for us. And, and Carol, personal thanks to you as well. I mean... Uh, uh, both of these have, have uh, hopefully turned this thing on its ear, and, and we can go forward now with uh, a lot better methodology than we've been employing for decades now. Yeah, and I want to say uh, you're both ufological heroes of mine now, so yes, I thank you as well. Oh, thank well, you. Thanks to you guys. Yeah, it started yeah. with you. Yeah, I I trust you guys. <clears throat> I was right. <laughs> well, said to be right about something. <laughs> we've, we've got her squarely fooled. <laughs> so, uh, I do have to work out some things about clowns now. Oh, yeah, me too. Colorobia. Col- <laughs> okay. uh, maybe that could be Paratopia Part 2. There you go. <laughs> I'm not doing the graphics for that when you're on your own, buddy. Okay. Uh, oh, the graphics were great, fun. by the way. That was, that was wonderful. I'm not messing uh, with Harlequins, man. I'll do gas masks, but not Harlequins. <laughs> Please. Please, get them away. Yeah. That, that did, a lot of people were very impressed, and, and they love the eat more reality. <laughs> that was the, the comment I got. So I don't know who did that, but it, it really hit the mark. Yeah. Um, so I would be, graphics is Jeff. He's, that would be my fault. <laughs> Oh, actually, great. actually, I thought that was an all-purpose graphic. I was thinking of putting it up all over town. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hope you license that. Because uh, I think you got a moneymaker there. Eat more reality? Yeah, maybe we People, should do that. It came up, and they, they said, I like that. I love that. I like that. And all I right, T-shirts, you guys. T-shirt, T-shirt. <laughs> well, oh, I'd just like to say a special thanks to Chick-fil-A for the inspiration. <laughs> Well, we, 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 we've now <laughs> – I think we've gone past our limit. I, I, I like that uh, we've gone from uh, discussing how we can better the field to how can we capitalize on it. That's <laughs> really full circle oh, when you think about it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Right. You've got to fund this revelation. research somehow, right? I mean, <laughs> It's true. 
Yeah, it's kind of sad when the when the scientist on the panel here is saying, you know, uh, Jerry and Jeff, you guys really have to do the research. It's like, oh, wait. you got to be entrepreneurial. I'm telling you, as a scientist, you are, in fact, self-employed, and you have to, to look out, see the problems, seize them, write a grant, and get somebody interested in it. It is no different than really uh, writing a book proposal. But so, Tyler, can I... Isn't, can I, isn't can the whole I, problem that, that amateurs are running the field? Isn't that the whole... I mean, I could get a... I could produce it and, and get, gather a team of superhero, you know, educated people to uh, to do the work, but I shouldn't actually be involved in the work, should I? Well, I think you can be. And it really, it sort of depends. As Carol said, you can learn a lot, uh, you know, and conduct yourself admirably. Uh, so I don't think you necessarily have to recuse yourself. Well, uh, you've heard the show, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not going to be easy. How many times have I said that? Uh, but but again, uh, you don't have to sign away all your rights, uh, you know, and that's the the thing is one problem I think is is people are tending too much to let others tell them what they think or, or what's important, and they're deferring too much to authority. Empower yourself, you know. That that's the the message of the of the article. Get out there and, and think about it, and I think that's what you're asking people to do, and uh, that's a powerful message. Well, I just like to ask Tyler. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you say uh, to to basically uh, copyright the, the catchphrase. Uh, I, I was just curious: Do you obtain your grants through uh, making catchphrases and printing T-shirts? No, <laughs> no. But catchphrases, buzzwords. <laughs> let me tell you, uh, uh, they're powerful. They're, they're, and everybody's the same. Scientist or whatnot, you got to hit the right buttons. You have to touch the right areas, uh, or you're not going to be funded. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately for us, uh, it's very easy to recognize the, the knockdown, drag out, brilliant grant proposal. And every now and then you get a real loser in there. But most of the time, they're in this general area, pretty good. Which one do I like better? And it really comes down to saying, well, I don't like that one. I like this one. Right. And it's a matter of opinion. Mm. Uh, so if you don't you, you, you don't say the right things, make the right moves or whatever, you're not in the in-group, you're out. Now, the downside of peer review is exactly that. Peer review guarantees us a reasonable good amount of quality. It roots out bad stuff, but it also stifles us in a way because it, it enforces groupthink. And as a scientist, I have to look over my shoulder to see where the peers are all the time because <laughs> I cannot get too far away from them. So there's, there's, there's no easy way here, okay, and there's no perfection. And let me tell you, scientists are just as prone to the, the problems, the vanities, the, the same issues that I guess what you would call amateurs would, would have, um, and maybe more so. Do, do, do you see that same sort of, uh, I don't know, dynamic of, uh, God, I've put so much work into this that, I've got my head so far down this particular hole of research that, you know, just like an artist, I mean, I have to back up uh, to look at what I'm doing to make sure I'm getting a certain detail right uh, rather than being right up on the canvas. Um, Do you run into the same sort of thing like we see in ufology, which is someone is so far down the rabbit hole with a theory and then someone pulls the rug out and goes, hey, wait a minute, Jeff, you know, this doesn't jive with this. That, you know, in turn, Jeff goes, oh, well, whatever to that. i got to keep going this way. Do you encounter that same sort of thing in scientific circles? Do people really 
scientists even do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. There's prestige uh, on the line. Uh, there, with the um, right now we call it the amyloid hypothesis for Alzheimer's disease. Uh, some really brilliant people worked out how amyloid was made and what it does, and it, it's very reasonable to look at it as a central thing in Alzheimer's disease. But when we eliminated the target that they said was causing the problems, people still stayed demented. Mm. So what are we doing now? Well, we're, we're, we're building, we're, we're embroidering on the edges, we're coming up with, well, no, see, that's not it. It's really these smaller molecules of amyloid that are soluble. We're in a pickle, and, mm. and we don't know where to go, and there is a reluctance to let go. Mm. One of my mentors told me a long time ago that sometimes for things to change, some really big names have to retire. <laughs> wow, if that doesn't sound familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's 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 the uh, that seems to be the answer then. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, let's call her quits, kids. Um, Carol Rainey, thank you again. Thank you very much for trusting us and for uh, your bravery and and in, in speaking out. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy and Jeff and Tyler. Yeah, and Tyler, uh, of course. <laughs> thank you as well for for speaking out in our. Humble little first e-zine. I mean, I think that's it's fantastic and what uh, an amazing one-two punch you two made. I mean, within 12 hours of its release, uh, I think we all saw the the tidal wave behind the scenes of people going "What?" Yeah, uh, in a good way. Um, so I thank you for being perhaps the most constructive thing to come along in ufology in years. Thanks a lot. Thank you for letting me participate and for the good work you're doing, both you and and. Jeff and Carol, too. And now my two dogs and my one cat are all standing here looking at me. We're leaving. All right. Those aren't, those aren't your pets, Carol. We need to get you under <laughs> hypnosis as soon as possible. <laughs> They're all screen memories. Now what do I do? <laughs> ah, thank you and good night. <laughs> Hi, this is Ted Phillips, and you're listening to Paratopia. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. So the Jeff. So the Jer. Was that everything I billed it to be in the beginning of this show? Oh, we don't ever stay on Paratopia. <laughs> and more. I went back and listened to Dr. Lilienfeld's episode today. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, he talks about peer review in much the same way. It's uncomfortable, it's hurtful, et cetera, et cetera, but it's necessary. And it seems like such a basic place to start peer review. And yet I know that when I first was all wide-eyed and bushy-tailed in this field and started saying, what about peer review, everyone? Uh, everyone said no. <laughs> right. right. So how do we even get something like that started? Well, here's what was interesting about the Lilienfeld episode also, and I don't know uh-huh. if I caught this the first time around. He had said about Jacobs, you know, he should submit his stuff to peer review. And I said, you know, basically, well, what – what psychological journal is going to review alien abduction work without turning it into a laughing stock? And he said, well, that's definitely a problem, blah, blah, blah. But he said he runs a journal, and uh, if it passes muster with them, they pass it off to be peer-reviewed. Right. So we could always go back to Dr. Lilienfeld if anyone you know wants their work to be peer-reviewed in a psychological journal. Uh, there's your man. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it has to pass a certain chain of command when it comes to that kind of. You're not you're not going to write directly to you know the National Psychological Association and get them to review anything. It's going to have to work its way up through the ladder, which is a good thing, I suppose, because the more eyes you get on it, the better off it's going to be. But you know, as far as what you were talking about, as far as peer review being employed in this field, I think. I think much like Dr. Koch John just said, it's going to be an uphill battle uh, to get anything like that done. I mean, let's take a step back from abduction for a minute and look at just the nature of uh, a sighting report. You know, a local MUFON guy gets a call. There's a sighting report accompanied with video that uh, on the face of it at first blush is pretty astounding. And then invariably that unknown MUFON uh, peon will get a call or an email or what have you from either some upper echelon at MUFON or uh, a bigger name researcher uh, wanting to examine the pictures, look at the photographs, speak to the witness maybe. And th- nobody's talking out of school here because this has happened to me. Uh, you'll find out in no short order that those people will not talk to you. Uh, they will not give up that case because they all of a sudden have a, uh, I don't know if you call it um, like a proprietary ownership of that case. Uh, They become very closed off. They'll only talk to certain people, only share data with certain people. It's not the wide open field that say medicine would be uh, or any sort of scientific discovery would be. I'm sure that when you go to, the abduction cases, I'm more than sure, in fact, that there are researchers out there who find someone who has uh, direct recall experiences and, you know, they're told right off the bat, either A, you need hypnosis, or B, uh, I just want you dealing with me because there are other unscrupulous people out there who will not lead you down the correct path to help or to resolution or to integration and so it's just as tight, and so I think the one thing that needs to be dissolved is this proprietary ownership thing. But to do that, one has to jump the big hurdle, which is cash. <laughs> and I mean, well, I've there's, said, there's you know, a bigger hurdle first off before you even get to 
all of that. I mean, you had asked uh, the good doctor about, you know, whether science was paying more attention. Hey, these uh-huh. kids are getting their act together. And he said, right. right. And then he, you know, talked about money and all that. But um, in, in the Lilienfeld episode, um, he said a couple of things. He said one thing he definitely made the difference between academic psycho- uh, psychologists and um, practitioners. Uh, so that when we were talking about hypnosis, he said, well, academics will say that hypnosis for memory retrieval, I mean, it'll be unanimously bad idea. Right. Practitioners, there'll be a little more not sure. Uh, and it sounds like from what he was saying in the conversation that, of course, the academics are up on the academia. They're up. They're the ones doing the experiments and they're the ones that are reading um, all of the appropriate updated journals and all of that and practitioners are less likely to to you know be involved in that end upgrading their uh-huh. data basically um so you couple that with um I-, I was just thinking as i was listening to it the fact that here's a man who knows all this stuff about psychology he knows all about delusions he knows about how the mind works to the extent that one can etc cetera, etc cetera. so you take a person who knows all about human psychology and knows what the brain is capable of in ways that we are not educated to know. Uh, and you put before him non-peer-reviewed books, you know, that contain bad research. How, how, how naive of us to even think that someone like that is going to go, yeah, I'm open to this. <laughs> I mean, what is in it for him to even consider it beyond the money? Beyond it, I mean, before you even get to how do we fund this, let's get to how do you even approach this in a way that makes sense to that clique of people that there's something there beyond human psychology and bad research? Well, I don't know that you do. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I mean. So all I, of that my, is also, my, to, can I just say part two yeah. of that is, so for the people who are saying, um, as I've seen a little bit of weariness out there about, well, well, with, with these articles now, where you know, if we destroy the, these works, then um, you know, skeptics in the outside world, you know, they're just going to poo-poo all of this. Right. Again, it's naive to think that it wasn't poo-pooed from the word go because <laughs> of this research, right? Not because we're calling it out, because right. of the research coupled with the education about how the brain works, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, when I'm referring to money, I'm referring and, and ego, and I'm also, you know, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about people not being forthcoming with research that they've done or a case thus so far uh, that's been explored or not explored, and in what direction. Uh, you know, this has been one of the big hurdles for people uh, getting a hold of data to, to start with. I mean, it's. Uh, that, that's that's a tough thing in and of itself is, is to get the the data where it needs to be from the start. So if you follow what I mean by that, uh, it, you know it can't go into conclusion before it's passed off to someone to peer review. Uh, you know, basic data has to be gathered, basic protocols have to be followed, um, and if they're not, then essentially whatever that base level researcher is doing is effectively worthless for peer review. You know, I mean, that's, that's a big thing. The sharing is a big deal. As far as getting, 
you know, any kind of mainstream movement on this, I think that the people in the mainstream who are, are interested in it, like Tyler has expressed an interest in this, you, you know, I think that's what you're going to have to, that's what you're going to have to have on your belt to say, okay, uh, Dr. Coke John, can you take this data to someone and, and see what they think? I mean, we're going to have to work with what we've got as a whole, this, scientific community, quote-unquote, is not just going to do an about-face. They're going to have to be intrigued enough to want to look into it, and then, of course, someone's going to have to be intrigued enough to fund that. There are all sorts of problems in implementing any kind of peer review. Number one is the proprietary. Number two is the ego of whatever researcher is involved in it, Uh, which I never quite understood. Uh, I never, never really understood that proprietary nature i can understand being protective of your work every scientist i'm sure is protective of his work to some degree but ultimately you you got to have more than one set of eyes uh to, to call it and that's 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 not happening in this field not on any front forget abductions i mean even when it comes to photographic evidence or whatever there is no peer review of all of that that stuff so and that's going to be hard to to set up i mean you that takes infrastructure and planning and organization, and this field exhibits itself as anything but that. Yeah. I, the other thing I just want to say, and I might have said this in a previous episode, but I don't think I've emphasized, emphasized it, and maybe you'll disagree with me, but I think we've been a little too hard on um, hypnosis the early days in a way because if there's no agreement between academics um, and practitioners – then really the tide of, well, hypnosis is absolutely wrong for this. Uh, that tide didn't turn until the 90s. So you can't really, bl- even if you had misgivings about hypnosis all along, you can't really blame Hopkins or Jacobs for wanting to use it originally when, for instance, Hopkins was trained by a couple of psychologists, right? So how do you, I mean, if, if a psychologist is training you to use hypnosis, and I get that, you know, you, you don't get the psychological training that goes with it or any of the training, you know, any of the education about mental health and all of that stuff. I get that. Right. But just hypnosis as a tool, uh, it wasn't – I don't think the door was shut on that until the 90s. Do you? No. So I don't think – Oh, no, no. Nobody's, nobody's ever said anything about they've been wrong from the start. What I said that they're – you know, what they're wrong from at the start is to engage in this kind of stuff when they're not – Mental health professionals. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. Um, you know, what I think, in my opinion, what you're looking at is therapy. But I don't think they knew that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't well, think, I think if you're being trained by a psychologist and that psychologist is not telling you, you know what, you need to be a psychologist to do this, then well, how would you know? Yeah, certainly you can't blame ignorance of not knowing. I mean, no, you, no, of course not. Of course not. But let's, you know, again, say that you know since the 90s this has been heavily debated questioned and uh suspected of not being uh all that safe all that accurate um yeah i mean this is this has been quite a while now and it's it's, to my knowledge is probably still being employed everywhere across ufology um you know uh, hopefully it's starting to wane a bit with all of this stuff that's come out about it but no, you certainly can't point the finger and say, you started this. And No, because nobody really knew. I mean, the only thing I can say about it is if you're going to 
uh, if you're going to engage in some kind of practice that involves the mind at all, I can't understand why a therapist of some kind wouldn't say this is, I mean, from the get-go, okay, why would hypnosis not be under some sort of regulatory practice? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean... Well, here was the other thing that Lilienfeld said about that, which isn't a whole answer, but it's a part of an answer, which is there are no consequences for abduction researchers because they're not a part of, um, what is it, the American Psychological Association, the APA. So, I mean, even if the APA were were to make it illegal for their members, um, it's not, you know, you would need like an actual law made by Congress to make it illegal, illegal. Right. Right. And who cares about that? I mean, who's lobbying for that, you know? That's a bit, well, I'm just saying that that's a bigger lobby than it is to go to the the American Medical Association or the American, you know, Psychological Association and say, hey, uh, where are the laws for this? Right. Well, I'm, I mean, like, well, like we've already said, I'm sure at some point in time, that even the psychological community saw this as harmless in so many ways. I mean, God knows it's been used in stage acts. So how, how harmful can it be, right? So I, I can understand to a certain point. But again, we're, we're 20 years past the point where we realized something wasn't quite right. And I think the fact that uh, the psychological community hasn't made a bigger issue of this um, – yeah, I agree. I mean, why are why I are, think it's wrong. Why I'm are sorry. hallucinogens? Why are hallucinogens uh, illegal, but not hypnosis? Well, because they give you funny ideas. Yeah, but this can actually change your you, you, who you think you are. Right, right. Well, some would argue psychedelics do the same thing. <laughs> well, then there you go. Then this should be illegal too. I mean, you yeah. know, I'm just saying, going on that basis. Yeah, it's just kind of silly. Um, what else? I found uh, you know interesting what Dr. Coke John had to say about um, what was it cells of a, of a baby or a fetus staying in the mother um, in the bloodstream for what over twenty years twenty five years somewhere along something like that yeah I mean so what why not get someone like a Kim Carlsberg who says she's a puppy mill for aliens get a milliliter of her blood and give it to him and see what happens I mean. Would, would I wonder if abductees would even at that point step up to the plate um, or if they would shy away because this could disprove uh, what they believe themselves to be? Well, that's the $10 million question. And the other, uh, I guess, question for that is, and I don't know this because I'm not a woman, but uh, – Not you know, yet anyway. <laughs> Keep that money coming, Paratopia. <laughs> Don't count on it, Vanny. Um, you know, the other half of it is is how many pregnancies that aren't acknowledged by a doctor, but of course, you know, the home pregnancy test is, has gotten to the point where uh, these days it's as accurate as the doctor's test. I just saw a commercial for one last night, you know, 99.9% accurate. So how many of those women, you know, are pregnant and uh, they get the test, confirms it, and they uh, have a miscarriage maybe before they get to a doctor or, uh, you know, there's all sorts of early miscarriage rates, I'm sure, in the United States. And, you know, would that then give a false positive to a test like that? Uh, I mean, we don't know. Um, 
I mean, is that, I don't know if that's, if that would even be a worthy test to try and figure out because then you've got to also legitimize somebody's sex life and say, are you positive that you didn't get pregnant when you slept with so-and-so or, you know, I haven't slept with anybody in 20 years. Well, prove it. You know, I, I just don't know how good that would really be anyway. Um, but I agree with you. I think a lot of them would probably shy away from it. I mean, certainly, um, I think we mentioned before that. Well, wait, wait a second. It, are, are you, so you're saying what he suggested wouldn't work? Well, I'm not because, saying it would work. Because what I'm saying is, I mean, isn't the whole hybrid thing that they're mixing alien sperm with fetus, whatever, and then so that's what would be in the, her system. So there well, would be like, hybrid sperm cells in her. I don't know system. if the I don't know if it's always the sense that you know, a hybrid is, is implanted and then grows as a human or what, I don't know the whole sci-fi story here. Um, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it that, you know, so they, for those people we could prove, we could prove either way. You might be able to prove it that way. If there's something in the cells of, of the fetus that is clearly not human, but is something we can't identify. Yeah. Now that would be valuable. Sure. Um, but just in the sense of was she pregnant now she's not, that doesn't really do much for anyone, I don't think. Um, but but again, I, I don't I don't know. I, I'm not saying it won't work. I'm just saying that I think that would be a uh, that would have to be the kind of thing where somebody says I actually saw an alien embryo inserted into me and or was told by these beings that I've been implanted with a hybrid child. And so if that's the case, then yes. But let us not forget that if nothing came of those tests, the answer would be, well, of course, they're not going to let you find uh, hybrid cells in my bloodstream because that would let everyone in on the secret. So again, there would always be a tangent excuse for why it's not showing up. Right. Right. There would be a tangent excuse for that person or for ufology, but for science. There wouldn't. Right. Yeah. As usual. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how this goes. Um, I guess I just want to say, once again, reiterate that uh, Carol Rainey is a brave woman in writing her story because, you know, we discussed all of the implications of this beforehand, all of, you know, sort of the negative fallout and what people would say to divert attention from the facts that she's presenting, all of that stuff. We knew all of that stuff going into this. You don't go into something like this blindly. You don't just flippantly... Um, write and or publish a piece like this. And so I think knowing what the negative side of this would be, the negative feedback would be, and then deciding to go ahead with it anyway, I think that's uh, that speaks volumes to her character to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> anytime in this field that you want to uh, speak up or speak out, and it's against uh, what's become a staple of ufological research, uh, you can bet that there's going to be people who try to divert the, the issue or uh, to marginalize you, to marginalize the situation. And, uh, uh, and it, takes a, it takes a lot of, um, a lot of guts to, to do and write what she did and to do it uh, at this point in time. I mean, uh, you, might as well, <laughs> you might as well know that when you come out with an article like that, that um, – there's going to be all sorts of nonsense that gets thrown your way. And I think, I mean, how long have we been talking to her about, I mean, she, did she approach you with this initially? I mean, how did, 
how did that come about? Uh, yeah, she approached me and then, um, you know, I encouraged her to speak her truth. And, uh, then she decided, you know, she might want to shop it around first because of course, you know, who are we? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're doing, we're, we're a startup easy you know? Right. Um, but I think she wanted to get this out, uh, as soon as possible. And so I, I'm pretty sure she went to UFO magazine. I don't know if she went anywhere else mm. and I don't even know if they looked at it, but, uh, I do know that the timetable was not right for her. So, right. well, the point being here is that this has been uh, discussed for a while now and, and how best to present it, uh, in, in such a way as that it contained, uh, all factual data and, uh, and, and her witness accounts of, of just what transpired that she saw personally, you know, in tandem with other people. I mean, I think it's, I think it's a really well-written article. I think it's concise and to the point. Uh, and with 16 footnotes, it's certainly documented well. So, you know, I, I think it's pretty transparent to attack it from any other direction than, uh, than what the article is. Attack it on its own merits if you have to. That's fine. I don't, I don't think anything that you say in this field can't be um, dissected. Uh, you know, in, in an honest way. I certainly think that could be done, but I think that uh, what minimal fallout there's been, and I'm surprised there hasn't been more, actually. Uh, the, the, like you said earlier, the most of the response to this has been really positive, which is great. It's unfortunate that people try to tear it down because, oh, it's the ex-wife, like you mentioned before. All of that stuff uh, doesn't really address the issue. It's... Um, it, it just shoot the messenger crap, and and haven't we all had enough of that? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently not. Um, no, I mean, when in doubt, you know, divert, divert, divert. Right. But why? I mean, I don't even know what people are are protecting at this point. Um, I I just I don't understand. I don't well, know what again, of. well, again, it's a belief system, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, I always refer back to to the the Meyer case with this kind of thing, because you you get almost the same kind of uh, venomous attacks on your person rather than what you're presenting. And that you always can identify that kind of attack with uh, the tearing down or attacking of a, a system of belief that's been built upon for now a very long time. And as I said in the interview, uh, this is not only about this stage of ufological research there has been other things like a house of cards built upon the foundation that this has the precedence that this has set and so it's a domino effect and so you're not only getting it from one area of research but you're going to get it from several others uh, across the board several different house of card beliefs as you go uh you know up the up the totem pole so you know that's that's the big problem and again i'll state that had it been critically examined from examined from the get-go and and possibly might have been taken with a larger dose of salt than it already was being taken with we might not have had this kind of thing now to deal with where it's just you know the house of cards is toppled over and and now we're left with 52 card pickup so i don't know i mean there's there's no easy way to get around that it's the equivalent of um uh, you know dissecting along held ufo case i mean look at roswell look at how that uh happens you know you've got a witness to roswell who 
tells this fabulous story of, you know, your father talking to two little aliens and there's debris everywhere. And then, you know, all of this um, builds upon by way of myth making and gets built upon and built upon. Books are written, uh, deathbed confessions are made. And, and then, oops, that first guy that all of this kind of hinged upon turned out not to be true because they found out later on it wasn't true. His story wasn't factual and he didn't live in that area. And no matter what, the unfortunate part is that story still hangs around. And again, look at the Meyer case. I mean, it's been shredded just to bits. And there are still people today who will front that as the most documented you know, UFO case in history, most well-proven, un, you know, untouchable. That's a belief system. That's no longer a matter of checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Well, and as far as checks and balances go, um, I do want to – and I think I said this last time, uh, last episode, but I want to re- reiterate it because um, I think it, it bears repeating. Um, when you do a magazine like this, when you do something that you know is just a bombshell like that, you can't be, do it for exploitative purposes. Let's put it that way. Um, especially when you're a startup like we are, you can't really afford to be wrong in, mm-hmm. in any way that is completely willfully your fault. Um, and so to that end, Carol, um, not only showed me her, you know, the video from her documentary on the Linda Cortilli case, but sat me down one night at dinner and went over all of the documentation. Um, so I've seen the letters from the psychologist about, Dora or whatever her name is, the one woman who, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and all, and all those back and forth notes to Bud. I mean, I, I saw all that. So I know that that stuff exists. It's not just that she footnoted it. I've seen it with my own two eyes. Um, so I just want to reiterate that because I know that like I'm a jokey guy and whatever, what, you know, comedy guy or whatever. Uh, but when it comes to this stuff, you, you don't want to screw up so badly that you can't show your face in public. <laughs> right. Uh, and certainly I don't want to hurt anybody, you know, like I certainly don't want to destroy anyone's career or anything like that. I just want to get to the truth, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we did our homework. You, you can't even hide behind. We didn't do our homework. We're just trying to capitalize or sensationalize or any of that sort of nonsense. It just ain't true. So yeah. just throwing that out there one last time. Again, <laughs> And I've said this before umpteen million times. You either care or you don't. I mean, that's that's it for me. You either care or you don't. And if you care, then you're interested in dissecting, finding out, following up, and investigating claims that are made out there in the field. And whether it's true or whether it's not becomes irrelevant. It's about I've got to know. And the, I've got to know because I want to know what's going on with me in my own personal situation. And that's, that's it. And I think if people can't get that through their thick skulls at this point, that, that there is a, a general concern and care for the topics we talk about, then, uh, you know, I, I don't know what more we could do, <laughs> you know, at this point. Um, unfortunately I think there's too many people in this field that do try to capitalize and and really don't care and view it more as a, as a business. And, um, and that's, that's unfortunate, but the field is rife with them. And, uh, and, and perhaps that should be, 
you know, another point to be looked at. I don't know how you're going to co- you know stop a capitalist society from capitalizing on the work that they do, which you know certain people do deserve to be paid for writing a book or you know uh, producing a magazine or, or whatever. I mean that's a wholly different matter. I'm talking about the research itself, you know, needing to be open and free and kind of unshackled from the saleability, I guess. I don't know how you do that, but you got to care. And if you don't care, then you really shouldn't be involved. Yeah, well, you got to care and you also uh, just can't – you can't print any old thing that you want. There are little (laughs) repercussions for that. Yeah. Uh, if not moral ones. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I just think people are who think that you would just put out something like that um, in rubbing your hands going, oh, this is going to be great, are just completely naive to how that process works. Yeah. Um, but here I want to end on this note. I'm reading – well, sort of reading – leafing through this book, Ghost Hunting New York City uh-huh. by uh, Laura – Hladic. I figured we should probably give something paranormal here to this paranormal show. And in here, she's talking about the White Horse Tavern, which I used to frequent when I used to live in Chelsea, which I didn't realize is supposedly haunt, uh, haunted by the spirit of Dylan Thomas. And so here we read about this woman, Rosamond uh, Kiefer, who went in there, wanted to see ghosts with her skeptical friend. So she's facing the bar. Her friend is facing her. Her friend doesn't care about ghosts or any of that. And Rosamond, it says this. Rosamond asked her friend, where are we supposed to see a ghost? The friend, who had no interest whatsoever in the paranormal, had no idea. So Rosamond sat with her back to the wall to have a clear vantage point of the length of the bar, and her two friends sat across from her facing the wall. Uh, Rosamond kept an eye on the bar as the three friends conversed. At the far end of the bar, on the right-hand side, she noticed a man standing with his foot on the bar railing, his right arm raised with a glass in his hand. She heard him say, drinks for everyone. No one around the man reacted, not even the bartender, who would have made quite a tip. Seeing that no one had paid attention to the man, Rosamond figured that perhaps he had no money and that the people around him knew that and therefore ignored him. As she stared at him, she realized his attire was not of this time period. She interrupted her friends and asked them to look at the man uh, and give their assessments. They turned around and looked in the direction she pointed, but he was gone. Rosamond was completely baffled. How could he have left the bar so quickly? That's when it hit her. She'd seen a ghost. So this is, you know, like a little travel, you know, travel around New York to haunted location sort of book. Uh, but I read that. And Jeff, what does that remind you of? Uh, uh, directional vision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, there we see. Oh, it's across the board, man. It's quite a scene. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same thing that we had with that UFO at the bus stop where we could see it. Yeah. Or you could see it. You know, if I pulled you in front of me, you could see it. Sure. It's the same thing Whitley Strieber said about that alleged clone craft or what drone craft where he had to pull his wife in front of him yeah. to be able to see it out the window. Uh, in the park, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once again, there's your crossover. And this is something that uh, the cookie cutter <laughs> abduction stuff doesn't acknowledge. Right. That's outlier data. Mm-hmm. That would be outlier data. Yeah, I guess I, I'd never heard that about a uh, about a ghost case before. That is direct. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and also let's uh, let's point out Ted Phillips. Same thing. You know, when they see a light at Marley Woods and they get up on their uh, ATVs and and make an end run around it, and they're standing right on the hill, hill where this light is, and the people at the bottom of the hill say, "Yes, it's right in front of you," and they see nothing. 
I mean, there again is that same directional. It's personal. It is individualized, and it's uh, you know, as Lee Townsend said on the program, it's it's tailor made to that individual. It's it's a very personal experience. And she wanted to see a ghost. <laughs> and there it is. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a. Uh, <laughs> of course, that point is not made in the book. <laughs> right. Well, of course not. No, because that would that would just give too much of a foothold for a skeptical answer. But, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's. Uh, I don't think that's uncommon as far as the ghost stuff goes of people seeing, uh, w- one person seeing something and the other not, or the other person seeing something completely different. Um. Which has happened in UFO circles as well. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover between all of this stuff. And um, and we're probably going to have to have Dave Roundtree back on again to talk about that sort of thing uh, in a future episode. If I can step back just for a second, I wanted to uh, kind of just mention something about um, and give a thanks here. Um, you know, as far as this whole hypnosis versus abduction argument, I think that... Uh, once we had Dr. Willenfeld on to talk about this uh, in depth for two hours one night, I think that uh, that you and I can both agree that that was when people began to kind of crawl out of the woodwork about the subject and about um, its pitfalls and and the the negative aspects of it. And so ultimately, you know, we, we have to thank again uh, Dr. Willenfeld for who, who really again. Wasn't sure he wanted to come on the show at all, stating that he didn't think we'd have a lot of common ground. Um, and, and to his credit, you know, he came on the show and and talked about this. So I think that in no small part, uh, his appearance on this program actually uh, lit the fuse for a lot of people to come forward to us. And not so much the notion that I think might be in people's heads is that, you know, we basically sought people and chased people down about this to talk negatively about it. That's something I think that needs to be mentioned is that uh, the the vast majority of people, in fact, all but one, I think, has come to us voluntarily after hearing that episode. Um, and so thanks to uh, Dr. Lewinfeld for doing that once again and, and uh, helping to reshape all of this. Indeed. Well, the Jeff. Yes, the Jeff. Is, is that our time? I think that's our time. All right. Until next week, all. Um, will the the magazine be out by then? What? <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>